Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to today's podcast. In this episode, we are chatting to Kiri Langford. Kiri is a friend of mine that I met back in probably around 2015, 2016, when she was doing her MSc in strength and conditioning in LIT in Ireland. Before that, she had done her bachelor's in kinesiology from York University. And she'd also, during that time, worked at sorry, York University and also at a hockey performance center called TPA Sports. Most recently, and probably what we'll chat a little bit more about today, is her work at the Canadian Institute of Sport out here in Ontario. So Kiri, do you want to kind of expand on yourself a little bit and kind of tell people about the journey that you've come on to get to where you are now? Yeah, thank you so much, Danny, for having me. It's exciting and hopefully I can bring some some of my knowledge, some of the lessons I've learned to whoever listens along. So I think for myself, I grew up in Canada and so hockey was my big main sport growing up. I played all sports Uh, you could think of but really hockey was my main sport and that brought me to York University and I played on the varsity uh, team there for five years because you can play five years in the Canadian university system so I went in knowing that I was going to take five years to complete it and it was through that second to third my summer like the off season second year going into third year where I started working in the York varsity gym and it's kind of a funny story too because it was coming to the end of the second year playing hockey at York and the strength and conditioning coach there at the time is Adam Douglas who is a genius and amazing strength coach um, his himself and we were both working out in between squats and I vividly remember you know I was just finishing up my squats he was just finishing up his and he's like hey Kiri do you think you want to work here this summer and I was mm-hmm. like um yeah I think that would be amazing yes um and so it was kind of really cool to be like that was my first experience. And for those who do not know Adam Douglas, he has done a lot of work with Hockey Canada, being their strength and conditioning coach. Um, in different, has it be the women's national team, or I think mainly right now he works a little bit more with the junior, the world juniors men's side of things. And then he also works at Catapult, if a GPS system. Now he's working at Catapult. So I was just so, so fortunate to be able to learn under Adam. And then it was also Dale LeBlanc, who, Dale, if you kind of listen to my story, he'll probably come up quite a bit. But like, also, I have vivid memories of that summer that I first started working there, Dale being like, teaching me what a glute bridge is, like just the basic, basic um, understanding of strength and conditioning. And so I worked as a, I was playing hockey and, you know, while I was in school doing kinesiology, it might've only been five, I think it was, yeah, five to 10 hours a week, maybe even closer to five hours a week during 
school that I would be working in the varsity gym. But I was just starting to, you know, dip my toes in the water a little bit and starting to get a feel for the strength and conditioning thing. And I, I loved it. I really, really loved it right away. And I think I was fortunate enough that I had Dale and Adam because as I went on, I really noticed I just like, I just pretty much wrote the programs, how they structured it going forward without actually really knowing why, but just kind of, you know, well, this is what my strength coaches did. So this is why I'm going to program these types of exercises or in this format, this layout of the sequencing. Um, and so I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm so fortunate. I had such an amazing mentors when I first started out because it wasn't until later on I realized how amazing they truly were. Um, and then it wasn't also until I got to my master's where I was like, oh, this is the why. Oh, this is why they did that, that I really could start to understand the science and the why behind programming in certain ways. Um, and so that last, I think my last year of university, yeah, it was my last year of university. I was actually, I was still playing, well, I ran into concussion problems. So that's a whole other story in itself that I wasn't actually playing my last year of university. I was, I almost kind of became a little bit of like a coach within the hockey team because yeah, I, I never wore that York Jersey in my fifth and final year. So um, I was doing a little bit of strength and conditioning with my own team running sessions and then also helping them coaching them kind of that mental side of it too within. But while I was also coaching at, I started coaching at TPA. So TPA is a private facility where it mains clientele is hockey. And so I loved it, right? Being a hockey player, working with younger hockey players, you're getting to know, but also it was teams of, you know, 15 usually kids. And so I feel like TPA really, really helped me step up my coaching game in the fact of how I delivered because you go from varsity athletes who they're pretty good at listening. You know, you tell them something, they want to learn, they want to be there. Varsity athletes to decent level hockey players that, you know, maybe they need to be there for um, because their team's telling them to be and maybe they don't actually want to be there. And so it was sometimes doing, you know, in that private sector, I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm like babysitting, right? But I think that's how I felt sometimes, but I had to learn, okay, well, how can I keep these 15 kids engaged? And usually I had one other strength coach with me, but still it was just the amount of hours on the gym floor. I think TPA really allowed me to get that experience and that side of things and a whole bunch of different levels. And it was nice that it was mainly hockey players. And then going into my final year, I was thinking back and forth, like, what do I want to do? I love the sports psych side of things. And so 
I was going back and forth between, okay, well, maybe I'll apply to this master's in Ireland. Maybe I'll go back to school and play another year of hockey. <laughs> but it was actually the doctor telling me, no, like, no, Kiri, you're not allowed to play hockey competitively anymore. That really made my decision of, okay, I guess I'm going to Ireland. And that needed to be like, I think I needed, um, I needed somebody else to tell me that. I needed somebody else to tell me that my hockey was done. But I had something lined up because in my, in my last year, I knew I loved the strength and conditioning side of things, but I was a female. And I also knew that this is a male-dominated field and I wanted to be good. I wanted to really make sure that I was able to be the best strength coach I could possibly be. And so I wanted to pursue that and getting into a master's of strength and conditioning really felt like the right step at the time. And there's only really a few masters in strength and conditioning. There's a few, you know, there's exercise science and kinesiology, but what pulled me to Ireland was that I had family there. So that's how I kind of made my decision. And I loved it. I really, really loved my time in Ireland. I met you. I met so many other amazing strength coaches and it allowed me to really understand the why, like I was saying before, a lot of the concepts I kind of had learned in kinesiology, but I think as I was going through my undergrad at York, I was like, okay, what do I need to know? And especially in like exercise phys side of things, it's like, what do I need to know to do well on the test? I like I look back and I'm like, why did I not critically think about what I was learning and how to apply it to, you know, strength and conditioning? I was strength and conditioning at the time, but it wasn't really until my master's that I was like, oh, okay, I remember learning this. And oh, that makes so much sense for why you program the certain way or how the body adapts. And so it was really cool to be able to have a slight base level of understanding of physiology, which I feel like I can always learn more about physiology and then be able to continue to now apply it to the strength and conditioning. Um, and then my time in Ireland, I guess I came back. I, um, I finished up my thesis in Toronto and then I it, I guess I finished it up in December 2016 and it was the spring of 20 I, I don't know spring of 2017 um, during this whole time I had always stayed in touch with Dale um, I just always thought you know he's the, one of the best strength coaches that I've ever known at the time. So I'm going to follow him around and get any opportunity I possibly can to work and just be in his presence. So I always throughout this whole time, I would find opportunities when it worked in my schedule to just go hang out with Dale and volunteer with him. And one time that spring of 2017 I was there helping him out volunteering 
And um, <coughs> sorry, um, Ed McNeely was there and Ed McNeely at the time, um, he is the, I guess he still is the strength and conditioning lead at Canadian Sport Institute, Ontario. And he was there when I was there and I was just getting to know him a little bit. I had no clue who he was at the time, no clue who he was. And he had just kind of mentioned a little bit how, oh, well, we're looking at developing this really cool system where we're giving an opportunity to younger strength and conditioning coaches um, a, a, a feel for what it's like in the provincial high-performance high uh, space and it's a quite a mentored position. And I remember the first time he told me, I remember like it kept me up at night. Like I was like, I don't know if I would want to do this because, because it was just so different. And it's funny how the brain does that. But I just remember like I had no clue. I had no clue really the fear of the uncertainty of changing what I was currently doing seemed so scary for me. And it was Ed, I guess, after I'd met him a few weeks later, he emailed me really pretty much asking me to apply. So he emailed me asking me to apply. And I, again, I had no clue. I really loved what I was currently doing. And I remember going into that interview saying, hey, I am just going to give it, you know, my best. I'm going to be myself. And if they feel that I am right for this job and they give it to me, I'll say yes. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> it's not going to, I currently also love what I'm doing. And so they, yeah, they told me, yep, you know, you've gotten the position. And wow, I feel like it was one of the best things that really has happened. And to me in my coaching career because Ed McNeely ended up being my my mentor and for two years my position was pretty much just to learn like half of my time was kind of just meant to be you're 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 really just absorbing you're learning and and there's so much wealth of information in Ed and all the other strength and conditioning coaches that, you know, Ed had, has been coaching SNC longer than I've been alive. Like just such, so much wealth of knowledge and the ability to work with other, um, we have, there's dietitians, uh, physios, uh, there's sport doctors there, um, mental performance. And so, you have a lot of um, those other disciplines in the same building. And I know that's something that I miss now being like, oh, I can't just have like our chats that we used to have in the hallway or in the kitchen where we just like quickly have like, oh, did you hear this little chats there? Because it really does make a difference when you're supporting a team that you, everybody's on the same page. And so it's really been an amazing experience that I feel like I've been so fortunate with so many opportunities I've been given. Um, and it's been tough. Like I think 
tough on the fact that I am fairly self-critical, but um, it's really helped me to grow so much, especially over the past, I think, two, three years. I think I've grown more being thrown into strength and conditioning and having to work with teams, new sports, than I feel like I ever really did when I was sitting in the classroom. Yeah, and that, that's kind of it, right? You know, you, you, you have to get that education just to get that education. The way you learn more is, you know, and I think you, you've had it, you know, you've kind of laid it out very clearly. You're very lucky early on to have Dale and Adam and then kind of be able to have them on with as mentors and learn from them. And then even, you know, when it comes to the actual coaching side of it, you know, working at TPA with mostly, you know, kids, that's, that's going to make your, you know, going to make it a little bit more difficult to, as you said, rather than vastly athletes to coach. That gives you that experience. Obviously, you're, you're an athlete yourself, and I know concussion symptoms are kind of what caused you to stop, and that's probably enough. Like, there's probably enough on that for multiple podcasts. But um, And even leading up to where you are now, having someone like Ed, and I love the sound of that program, like that kind of mentorship program. It sounds like an amazing position you've got yourself into. So I guess let's kind of move on and let's touch to um, the kind of setup, that, how it works there. I, think, I, know, I know you touched a little bit on the different sports. So how many kind of different sports do you yeah. work with within that And setup? a lot of the model that they, they say too is, you know, when we're starting out a little bit younger, um, I guess young, you know, first starting into our strength and conditioning career, it's almost better to be very broad, working with as many sports as possible. And then as you get going, you almost start to niche down into the sport that you feel, you know, fits best for your personality and that works best for you. And then you're almost a little bit more hands-on into that sport. So that's, that's what the advice they, they told me. And, and it makes sense, right? You're just writing a ton of programs. You're, you're getting so many more opportunities uh, to learn. And so I really think I did work with, you know, I work with some of the most sports over the time that I have. So some of the sports that I have worked with over my, it's been three years now being part of three CSIO, what is uh, provincial water polo, provincial artistic swimming. So it used to be called synchronized swimming, now artistic swimming, uh, provincial equestrian, provincial beach volleyball, provincial freestyle ski, uh, national women's softball, national archery, and then national wheelchair rugby. So that's, I got one pair of sport in there. Um, but remember, I said my background was hockey. Um, all of those sports are very different than hockey. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many sports there, right? So I guess, I mean, anyone who, who's kind of listened to the podcast knows that we try to kind of focus in on one sport. And me and you were chatting about this the other day, and I thought, let's let's go with maybe the you know the archery because i don't know when next time i get to get to talk to someone who works within archery so let, let's talk a little bit about what you kind of do with your athletes and i you know that this podcast is called be less dumb i do not have a clue about archery um so tell me tell me kind of i guess let's start with the strength program that kind of goes in that's involved with developing mm -hmm. okay archery athletes. so i would say um i would say go check archery out and try it yourself because it's such a cool sport but um, what I would also say is archery is a very, very different sport than any other sport I've ever trained. It is a precision sport that repetition and accuracy is what makes the difference. So 
they are usually practicing three hours at a time and they will shoot, you know, 200, 300 arrows in a, in a practice. And so that is a repetitive movement that you're doing, you know, 200 times. And so when I first started working with them, a lot of it was just kind of trying to figure out and learn about the sport. And I did kind of train them more like a team sport athlete. Yeah, I know, kind of like my first, I remember Ed, (laughs) I like showed him my first program and he like, that's pretty much what he said. He's like, well, this kind of looks like one of your softball programs and, you know, we have to think about training them slightly different. And so it's been two years now. And I think from my first program to how I'm programming now has drastically changed um, in the fact that looking at the needs of the sport, it's pretty much all type one muscle fibers. And so when we're looking at type one muscle fibers, we the main main key determinants in their performance is stability and sway so and tremor so we have sway and tremor and just to kind of go into the difference between sway and tremor because these are two of the key things that i really am training for them sway is more your if you're standing up And the best way I can describe this is kind of if you stand up, close your eyes and just try to stand still, you're going to notice that your body kind of sways a little bit. And what it is, is a change of pressure. And so you're slightly almost your body's always trying to keep you balanced and it's always trying to bring you back into that center. And so we always naturally have a little bit of sway. And so that's one of the key things trying to train them is decrease their sway. The second thing is tremor. And so tremor is more kind of isolated to a certain muscle in itself. And so I usually like to say, okay, if you take your hands together, like in a prayer position, and you press your hands together as strong as you possibly can, you're going to notice your hands almost, you know, maybe your shoulders, your hands start to shake a little bit. Well, that's more tremor. And so the two of those, I'm constantly training and thinking of, okay, how can I work on decreasing sway, decreasing tremor? Because if I can help them to be more stable every single shot, more, you know, it's very consistent, then that's going to help them with their score. Yeah, I mean, sorry, go on, go on, keep talking. And so looking at the, the type one, what it does is, you know, by type, training the type one, it allows us to have more of an oxidative capacity. So um, also really that increase their fatigue level. Um, it takes longer for their muscles to fatigue, right? Like, when you go for a sprint versus when you go for a long aerobic based jog, you take a little bit longer to fatigue. And also looking at the type ones, if we're moving slowly, um, that 
the ability for our muscle fibers to recruit when they are doing that, that movement of lifting their hands up to come into their shooting position, is it their type one muscle fibers that are doing the work or is it their type two? And so if they're, if they're, um, if they're tremor and shaking quite a bit, well, most likely they're using their type two, their fast twitch type fibers a little bit more than their slow twitch. And so a lot of it is retraining the brain um, and like strengthening also those type, type ones because naturally we're always going to have a combination of the two. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like super interesting stuff. It's like when you, when, you, you know, the, when you talk about sports that are so precise and that all really takes a big presence, you know, I mean, I would like, wouldn't even cross my mind to think about, you know, sway and tremor. Um, obviously, I've always kind of had a background in field sports or on court sports. So it's interesting. So you kind of tell mm -hmm. me what, what ways do you Okay, train so we furthest out, furthest out from their big event. So pretty much at the beginning of their off season, we do strength. And I, this past uh, year, I did a three month uh, strength block and it might seem you know counterproductive to most but they do need a certain amount of strength and especially in their lower body like a lot of people think oh like why would they need to train their lower body but the the more strength you have in your lower body you know your quads your hamstrings your glutes um the the more the less sway you're gonna have so we do want to have a little bit of lower body strength to help prevent that sway. And it's, it's a funny story too, because I think we were a few weeks out of our strength block. And one of my athletes are like, when are we going to do the strength block again? I really liked it. And I was like, um, you know, next September. And I think it was December <laughs> at the time. And he was like, oh, I was like, feel like I, I, I really should have been focusing on my nutrition more during that time. And I just thought it was so funny because I was like, I hopefully he's learning. Hopefully he's learning. But I told them, I told them at the beginning of that strength block, we're enjoy it because we're only here for three phases and we're only here for about three months. And after that um, strength block, we got into tempo work. And so the tempo work, it started a little bit at slower tempos, but then it slowly over time, I've kind of increased the tempos. And so with the tempo work, you know, maybe it started with um, a, four a four second eccentric, a two second pause to a four, centric, four second eccentric. Um, and then I kind of progressed it to six and then eight and really going super, super slow and lighter loads. And they hated it. They, they think about it. How, when you do something for, you know, eight seconds, it burns. And so they, they really look forward to going back to that strength side of things, but I feel 
I've explained to them often enough, like, why do we do the low, the slow temp, like the slow tempos? Oh, yeah, I want to get my type one muscle fibers. And even just talking to some of the guys, one of them, they said, I used to tremor a lot. And now I just tremor a little. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, nice. So getting them around really how we're training for the sport. Like our most elite athlete, he, he asked me, I think maybe about a year ago, oh, you know that like Olympic lifting stuff? Do you think, do you think we could train that? And I told him, maybe once your Olympic career is done, maybe we can go into Olympic lifting. But as of right now, if you want to, you know, go to Tokyo, you want to compete at Tokyo, then we're focusing on this, the slow twitch. Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, isometrics mm -hmm. and eccentrics well, and long holds and pauses and tempo. Yeah, and it's also it really interesting suck, because right? there's actually no eccentric in the in the movement. And I, I remember right. thinking and going, and I was I was doing their next program, and I was like. Oh, maybe I'll do it eccentric. And I was going and I started to like write it out and I was starting to go. And then I read back through some of my notes and I was like, Kiri, there's no eccentric movement at all in the sport. Cause it's an up, they hold, and then it's like a release. And that release is almost like a relax. And then, you know, they redo it again. So it's a, it's an isometric movement with a slow concentric. Yeah, I guess that's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is it. This is why I have people from different sports. Cause you know, like I said, this is why I wanted to talk so much on yeah, archery. Yeah. Cause when the next well, time I'm going to talk to someone who works in archery, right? Like a key thing um, for that, like if you on. think of like my big rocks of me, when I first started to work with them, I was just focusing on teaching them how to set their shoulder blades properly, engage their glutes, engage their core. Like they just, they didn't have a lot of the basic, basic foundations to moving efficiently. Um, and so that was one of the key, key things that I just really focused on them and, and helping them to understand, like, how do you use your proper muscles to make sure that your shoulders moving efficiently and core playing such a huge role in their balance, in their sway. And a lot of them, you know, they, they stuck their bum out. They didn't have that core strength to um, keep their pelvis tilted and like engage that core and so um it's kind of cool it's kind of cool to be able to look back and be like whoa look at how far you guys have come in your movement and I went from a group of athletes who hated working out to now you know they get upset when I'm like okay well competition is very important so we're gonna go down to only like one lift a week and like now they get upset about that Right. So it's cool to see the culture kind of change as well within archery. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited. I, uh, and what's really cool too is other sport, like other countries are starting to notice that Canada is getting fitter. And like 
they're starting to have that impact and, and be a little bit more of a threat within the archery community. So it's cool to just kind of be at the background and, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I do a little bit, you know, I help a little bit, but it's cool to just be able to see how the difference, the things that we've been working on and, you know, it's been a year, months, how it's making that impact on a bigger and greater level. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing, obviously archery is like a specialized sport, you know, I suppose you could probably touch it as like a fringe sport as well. So I'm, I'm assuming like you, you kind of touched it, the majority of the athletes that you start working with, they don't have the kind of biggest lifting history, I would imagine. Maybe not like, you know, hockey players who might be lifting yeah. in their youth and yeah. stuff and like that. Do you know what? There's the some that do. Um, there are some that do. But overall, yeah, it's a sport that it's not ingrained in their culture as much that, you know, working out and working out on a consistent basis. So that's, that's also been one of the coolest things is just seeing that shift of culture in terms of committing to their workouts and their physical capabilities. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, what's their competition structure like? Um, I know we obviously touch on the end goal, always being on Olympics and stuff like that, but and kind of maybe you can yeah. touch on their competition structure and well, how that might influence your programming. First thing is they shoot 70 meters away. Take a second to actually think about how far 70 meters is. Like... I feel like when I'm there, yeah, sometimes far, right? at the target, I'm like, how do you even like see? But they have a little sight, so it helps them to see. Um, so they're 70 meters away. When it comes to competition, they first have a qualification round. And they have four minutes to shoot six arrows for a total of 12 ends. So it ends up being uh, 72 arrows total in the qualification round and based you know a target the closer to the bullseye you know that's that's the 10 and then it's the further out the numbers go down and so based on each arrow you get a score uh and from that score whoever in the qualification round has the top scores will go on to the elimination round. So sometimes in the qualification and eliminations, in some competitions, they're on the same day. In some of the bigger competitions, they are on the, a different day. That makes sense so far? So once they do the yeah. qualification, if they meet, they... Um, if they make it onto the elimination, they then go head to head with another archer. And now, now you have two minutes to shoot three arrows and you kind of get, it's a slightly different point system that it's whoever wins that set, you get two points. If you win you had the most points in those three arrows. You get two points. If you tie, you each get a point. If you lose, you get a zero. 
And then it's the first person to get six set points. Um, and then again, they do like a shoot off if you're still tied. So if you're still tied, you get, you, they have a little bit of like a shoot off. And each one of those head to head matches usually lasts between 10 to 20 minutes. And sometimes they go elimination round and, you know, they might have, they go head to head. If they win it, they might get a five minute break and then they're doing another head to head. And the further you go, um, the more games you're going to get. Right. And it's, it's you just going head to head until there's only two archers right. left. And then that determines gold or silver. Yeah, yeah so it, it is actually quite intense. Yeah, right? and if you yeah, think the psychological side of things you know? plays such a huge role too, right? That head-to-head, um, you're competing against somebody right there, right? And so you have that adrenaline side of things, and 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 a lot of times it's not it's not super high intense, but it's you know it's consistent through you know it's lower intensity, but for longer periods of time. And what kind of, what, do you know, do you, I don't know if you have any data on this, what kind of heart rates do they have during them times that obviously yeah, might be affected, like you said, with them psychological everybody's factors? Everybody's slightly different, right? Like it, it, it definitely is kind of slightly different. It right. is common though that, you know, they're, when they do shoot, it's common that their heart rate does kind of spike up a little bit. Um, some of the top archers, you know, it, their heart rate doesn't go up quite as much maybe it's closer to kind of 120 130 but then some of the other ones it gets up a little bit more to kind of 150 kind of thing but it's it's not crazy crazy you know crazy crazy high Well, so, yeah, I mean, that, you, you've given us so much information today on archery, so thank you so much for that. Um, and I think we'll probably, I'll probably definitely have you on again to kind of probably go more into detail about some other sport that I know not much about, like softball and stuff. I know you've done a little bit of work on there. Um, is there anything you want to want to want to touch on before um, we finish up? No, I think. Well, I think we covered a ton. Um, I I think it's it's really really awesome, and I think the key thing is. Because I have been pushed into learning. I, I don't want to say pushed into learning. I have gotten the opportunity to learn a ton and a ton of different sports. And I think just if anybody else gets that opportunity is to not be afraid to ask questions. Like I ask the coaches. I ask the athletes question all the time. Like the amount of time I ask them, okay, how many arrows do you have again in the elimination round? And how does this point system work? Like, like I probably asked them so multiple times just to kind of be able to really wrap my head around it. Because um, they're the experts, right? They're the experts. So to not be afraid to ask them um, questions. And I'll even be doing an exercise too. And it'll be like, what's your arm angle when you're shooting? And they'll, oh, more like this. And then I'll be like, okay, awesome. Do the exercise like this, the, the way that 
makes the most sense that's closest to the way that they're shooting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been a very common trend of actually of all these um, all these podcasts is like you know when it you know talk to the athletes because you know we actually me, me and Quan were talking about this I think yesterday or the day before and you know some some coaches don't want to ask questions of athletes mm-hmm. because, I mean, they usually have to end up changing things and doing more work you know so the, the importance of asking you as you're you're dead right coaches athletes in anything right you know um, the person you're talking to is usually the expert of what they're doing right so trying to get as much information from them as possible is only going to help yes of course you might have to rethink things and do a little bit more work but it's only going to help in the long run right you only become more intelligent you're only going to be more critical of your thinking just like you talked about earlier about the difference from when you went and did your msc a lot of that is because you know first of all you had all your education so now you can start to critique it a little bit but also you had that practical experience of dealing with people as well so they all kind of play into each other um so kiri thank you thank you so much for coming on today um usually what i do at the end is i give everybody a little bit of a chance to plug what they're doing um their instagram stuff like that whether they're doing any online coaching Take as much time you want to plug awesome. everything you're doing Thanks. right now. Um, so the best place to follow me is probably on Instagram at coach underscore Kiri. Um, I'm trying to maybe put a little bit more information out there. I got some room for improvement, but I also love the mental side of sports too. So you'll probably see a little bit more kind of meditation, mindfulness, along with some strength and conditioning. So happy to kind of um, have anybody kind of follow along with what I'm doing. And they can definitely reach out directly to ask me um, through Instagram. And I'll get back to you as quickly as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, that'd be the best place. Perfect. Yeah. And I am, I am like, I don't know if I've seen this to you before, but I, I am going to do maybe over the next month. So kind of do like a psychology week where I'm going to have a, a few sports psychologists on to talk about things. And I know you love the mental side of sport as well. So that could be a good chance mm-hmm. for you to come cool. back and talk awesome. about whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Thank Kiri, you. Thank you so much. And I'll be in touch. So thank you to Kiri for coming on today. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, that Kiri's probably the person I know who works with in the sport of archery. So that was interesting to hear about, you know, sway and tremor and the different things she does to improve that. And simple things like you don't even think about the fact there's no eccentric in the actual movement in archery. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so over the next two weeks, we are going to have Noel Fitzgibbon back on to talk about critiquing and long-term athlete development model. We are going to have Connor Murray come back on and talk about weight cutting. Uh, pretty kind of. Like I said, the UFC is a very prominent sport and it's getting more and more prominent. So um, more and more coaches are going to end up working within weight cutting. And now I've had a few experiences with it, so he's going to come on and talk about that. Uh, we're also going to have Logan Baker to come on and Rafi Youssef. He's going to come on. He's an athletic trainer slash s coach out here in Canada. So yeah, thank you for listening and enjoy.